Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't have to play me backwards to get the meaning of my verse. You don't have to die and go to hell to feel the devil. Welcome to the MKZ Podcast, where we examine coercive mind control, invasive human experimentation, and other related abuses. I'm Ron Patton. On episode three, we start off with investigative journalist John Rappaport, who gives a talk entitled The CIA Mind Control and Children, which is about the CIA's abuse of children to create multifaceted mind control agents. Rappaport also elaborates about the impact of the mind-controlled testimony submitted to the presidential hearings on radiation experiments on March 15, 1995. Mind control is one of those things that people don't like to talk about, including yours truly, frankly. And, uh, you know, I, but I got into it, and I saw the evidence, and uh, it was... uh, you know, there it was. Now, um, <clears throat> officially, MK Ultra was a CIA mind control project that lasted about 10 years. Let's say from 1952 to 62, 63. Before it started, there was Artichoke and Bluebird. Uh, those were other projects, mind control projects of the CIA. And after it ended, supposedly in 63, Uh, an office called ORD, Office of Research and Development, took it over. Now, their job, we don't know about. We're not sure of everything that they did because that information (coughs) is not available. It's in 130 boxes of material somewhere, maybe in Langley, Virginia, and they won't release it. But various people have said that they employed more sophisticated measures than MKUltra to do mind control on people. I think one of the reasons that this is such an important subject is because 
we're looking at people here who have a certain attitude about life itself and these people are in the government and they are in important positions in the government and in order to understand what they are really about we get a look at them which is unprecedented by looking at what they did with this kind of experimentation on humans in other words they hate life okay that's pretty clear they have their own version of life which is like death and that's where their life is and that's what they feed off of and I would say that most if not all secret societies are based on the same concept once you cut through all of the paraphernalia and the symbology of secret societies you're basically dealing with people who have for one reason or another given up on life completely they are now into the form of life that is in, involved with death that's their territory and it's a pretty horrendous thing to say but I think that it would be borne out my own feeling is that we're talking about a confluence of different um, influences here on individuals that go back a long way into the past into the families the history of families in which they grew up I'm talking about long-term history what those families are and these are people who are entirely functional but entirely psychotic if you want to use that psychological term it doesn't really do it justice but it tells you something about them I think and I'm talking about people like John Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles I would say very good examples look at their faces look at what you see there you see almost nothing there's a kind of mask like quality about these people an emptiness uh, very competent people who go about their business who seem to have no feeling or juice for life and I would say that these people are often born into families who go back centuries possibly in that kind of uh, disconnected condition from life and while they are able to function very successfully in society and deal with power because that is their their ticket and their coinage they find that control and destruction of life is the only thing really that that gives them life and since I have read this information that I'll be sharing with you tonight I'm beginning to come to the conclusion that the people who are involved in the in the nuclear weapons scenario really want to destroy the world that is it isn't a question of it may seem obvious to say but they see that as liberation if you can wrap your mind around that as a release from what they consider to be an uh, an oppressive situation that just simply can't be tolerated 
they see destruction as liberation. And so the only thing that would hold them back, I think, from destroying the world is the feeling that they may not have the playground left in which to enact their scenarios of destruction. There would only be one, and that would be the explosion that would take care of the planet. So I would say that this is what we're dealing with. And I would put up as a model against that on the other side, although uh, this man is not, you know, a messiah by any means, but if you know any of the work of Wilhelm Reich, the psychiatrist who broke away from Freud, he developed an entire psychology around the concept of liberation of energy. It, liberation of energy from within the person that was locked up. And it was really uh, the first time, uh, well, he was the main figure in the history of Western psychology, let's put it that way, which is a recent effort to simply say that we're talking about energy here and that freedom and the release of free energy from a human being against blocked up channels gives you what's called life. That's life. And of course, he was destroyed by the government. He had a device that he was an energy accumulator device he was arrested because uh, uh, a federal agent posing as a buyer or a distributor of that device offered to take it off his hands and, and bring it through state lines. And so he was served a subpoena to appear before the federal government uh, that involved illegal interstate commerce. And his comment was rather naive. He said, how can they possibly serve me? That's politics. I'm talking about science. And so he didn't honor the subpoena. They put him in jail and he died. He was talking about fantastical things like plumes of blue energy shooting out of the top of a person into the sky when this kind of liberation of energy would occur. He said that the energy that creates clouds and storms and weather is the same energy that we have inside ourselves. It's identical. And he called the, the unit of it an orgone. And he invented these wild machines that were able to supposedly maneuver this energy around. I won't go into that in this talk, but he's a fascinating person. And I always hold him up as an example of somebody who ultimately stands for the other side of, of things, which is life. So you, the reason that you find some of these fascist lunatics involved with magic and occult sciences and heavy, heavy, heavy symbology and all of that is because within these secret societies, they are dealing in uh, death as life. If you could imagine life as a kind of hourglass, you know, and they fall through the top into the very skinny part and out the bottom, and they see that as being a form of, of living, and they take their uh, sensation and their thrills from, from some sort of upside-down version of life. And I wanted to paint that little sketch before I started because we're going to get into some pretty strange territory here. And uh, I want to say that I think this is basically what's going on. And it's, it's important to know that these people occupied key positions in our government and still do. And they are unaccountable. And um, it tells you something about 
what is called a democracy. I've brought some testimony together into this book called U.S. Government Mind Control Experiments on Children. It's a compilation, basically, of testimony that was given in Washington. And before I read from it, while I can still remember, uh, I want to make a few announcements, uh, a little bit about myself and about the people that are here tonight. This is Deep River Books. Uh, she Who Remembers is taping this talk. Tape is available afterwards. I'll probably forget to remind you, and Jeannie will stand up and say something. Ralph Cole of Justice Vision is taping, videotaping here. He's also been taping uh, meetings of HEAL, an alternative AIDS group, which is doing some excellent work in, in bringing some truth about AIDS to people, and he has some of those tapes available, too, if you'd like to see him. Of course, this book is upstairs at Deep River, and so is another book of mine called AIDS, Inc. that I wrote in 1988. Uh, I'm an investigative reporter for about the last 15 years. And um, I basically have been investigating what I call medical fascism, which I believe is the mechanism by which people are going to be dragged into a brave new world if that is the outcome that we unfortunately end up with. That issue is not decided. But because the medical world has such great authority with people, they believe so much in doctors and experts, they are going to try to make that move. They are going to try to, to bring people to heal under the aegis of medicine. They are going to try to say that they know science and that therefore you have to listen to what they say. And if they say take a drug or you're suffering from a germ, there is no questioning that. If they say you're detained or quarantined, there's no questioning that. I see that as being... Uh, something that is, you know, coming around here. Now, this testimony was given before the President's Committee on Radiation in Washington on March 15, 95. We had three people that went up there from New Orleans. Valerie Wolf, a therapist, and two of her patients, Claudia Mullen and Christy Nicola. God only knows how they got in and testified. I've heard the story from Valerie. I still don't even believe it, but basically she told the screener up there, the person who was screening applicants to speak, about cruel and unusual radiation experiments on Americans. She said, well, I have patients, and they are saying that some of these doctors who administered radiation administered mind control to them, so we want to talk. And they said, okay. They testified from what I can gather for a very short period of time verbally, they submitted a lot of testimony to the committee from uh, other therapists and other patients. And they, they somehow got in. Nobody knows how, but they got in. And that opens a certain kind of door for us because it puts it on the record and it gives it a certain legitimacy. And what these patients essentially said was that from the time they were four years old, seven years old, they were tortured by the CIA and the military. You can call it something more sophisticated, but it really isn't. It involved electroshock, physical torture, lights, spinning tables, 
hallucinogenic drugs, sleep deprivation, isolation tanks, hypnosis, mind programming with commands, layers of trauma that induced buffer zones of amnesia between the traumas and essentially thereby created multiple personalities. Because as one psychological theory has it, if you induce enough trauma, you get a split in the personality because the person can't face the pain and so they put that part out of it and they come with a new personality. And if you keep doing it, you, in, you invoke or create different personalities and then if you are the CIA, you try to program these sub-personalities to do different things like memorize information photographically and not remember it, uh, do courier operations, assassination operations, sex agent uh, blackmail operations, all of this. Now I must say that I think that some representations of this kind of operation are a little too neat and clean. That is, people assume it's like, you know, Okay, we'll create 37 personalities now, we'll program each one, and then we'll enter these commands and then call it up and da 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 da. I really doubt that it works that way. I think in many cases it's a total washout. In many cases it's just psychosis time, madness. In many cases, or many, some, I don't know, people are killed because they just don't respond and they will not stand for it, no matter what is induced. So, there are two tracks here, and these are the tracks. There is testimony by people saying, this was done to me, okay? And then you decide if you believe that or not. Then over here, there are attempts to verify through obtaining documents from the CIA and the military that such experiments did in fact go on to create a parallel track of research to, to give credence to what these people are saying over here because, you know, there's a, there are many good uh, people who want to say this is all nutcase territory over here and we don't want to know about it and frankly, I don't blame them. So the researchers have said, the ones that are really into this, we want to try to document it as well on the other side. And efforts have been made in that direction and continue to be made in that direction. And so let me introduce into the record, and it would be nice if we were all sitting here in front of uh, Arlen single bullet theory specter and people like that, uh, something called Volume 7 of Recent Advances in Biological Psychiatry, The Proceedings of the 19th Annual Convention and Scientific Program of the Society of Biological Psychiatry, Los Angeles, May 1-3, 1964. The officers of this group include Ewan Cameron, MD, psychiatrist from Canada that many will recognize as possibly the major um, monster on the planet as far as um, mind control. Much has been written about him. I'm not going to talk about him much tonight. Now, in part one of the table of contents, we have the following paper. Automatic nervous system responses in hospitalized children 
treated with, U, uh, with LSD and UML. And one of the researchers is Loretta Bender. Now, Loretta Bender cannot be nailed down as being a CIA employee. She was, in fact, in 1961, a president of the Society of Biological Psychiatry. But she was part of a small group of researchers who were doing early LSD research, most of whom were doing it for the CIA. She attended conferences where those people showed up, like this. And she attended at least one conference by the Josiah Macy Foundation, which was a conduit and front for CIA money. Now, the paper is rather lengthy, but I'm just going to read you a few things from it. This is not part of the book. In the children's unit of Creedmoor State Hospital with a resident population of 450 patients, ages 4 to 15, we have investigated responses of some of these children to lysergic acid and related drugs in the psychiatric, psychological, and biochemical areas. Two groups of boys receiving daily LSD, UML, which is a methylated, deri a methylated derivative of LSD, or psilocybin. At first, the medication was given weekly, but was eventually given daily for periods of up to several months. Okay? And dosages remained constant throughout LSD 150 mics, which is a standard for an adult trip, psilocybin 20 milligrams daily, or UML 12 milligrams daily, all given in two divided doses. The average duration of treatment was two to three months, daily. Children seven, nine, 11 years old. Now, the psychiatrist who sent me this told me that he has a statement at home, which he's going to fax to me, that shows that in several cases, at least with these children, this was carried on for several years daily. Now, of course, all of the testimony here about what happened to the children is they got nothing but better. These were autistic, retarded, a loose term signifying really nothing, but autistic or schizophrenic children. That was the diagnosis. And they all responded, became more straightforward and, and here and whatever. You decide. Okay. So that is a very significant piece of evidence here. That shows that as early as 1964, the CIA was in fact experimenting, or a person with probable CIA connections was experimenting on young children with LSD and other similar drugs. Okay? You want to turn that light away from me, please? Now I have here a staff memorandum given to me by Harlan Gerard, a very active researcher in this field, to members of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments from the Advisory Committee staff, June 27, 1994. And this is a summary of the CIA, its history and its activities. So in other words, members of the Committee on Radiation staff submitted this to the committee at large to kind of clue them in on 
what the CIA is prior to the 1995 hearings of the President's Committee on Radiation. And they say, in the 1950s and 60s, the CIA engaged in an extensive program of human experimentation using drugs, psychological and other means in search of techniques to control human behavior for counterintelligence and covert action purposes. This is quite an admission. In other words, they're training agents, it says here, by using mind control on them. It doesn't say they're using mind control just to sort of get information from foreign agents. The possibility that the CIA itself engaged in human radiation experiments emanates from references in a 1963 CIA Inspector General's report on Project MKUltra, which was a program concerned with research and development of chemical, biological, and radiological materials capable of employment in clandestine operations to control human behavior. Now, in the rest of this report, they indicate that they cannot find any records of specific radiological experiments carried on by the CIA. And obviously, they are looking. This doesn't look like a total whitewash. But, you know, that doesn't mean you believe them. It just means that those records could be destroyed or hidden away, uh, deep hidden away, because everybody agrees that radiation is a bad thing, and the CIA, last thing they want is for people to believe that they used radiation on people, you know. So, but this does indicate that there was a reference about research and development of radiation by the CIA for purposes of employment in clandestine operations to control human behavior. How the hell do you use radiation in clandestine operations to control human behavior? Well, I would suggest that you use it to traumatize people whom you are training as agents so that you gain control of them and you therefore have them under your thumb and they do what you want them to do. And the testimony here tends to bear that out, that radiation was used on people as a method of inducing trauma, not as a way of testing, you know, does radiation cause harm, which is sort of the gist of the President's Committee on Radiation. They went halfway, they said. Terrible things were done to unwitting Americans. Radiation was used by doctors on them in hospitals. But this goes further. We are now talking about a whole other level because those other experiments supposedly were carried on, you know, with a misguided effort to see what toxicity levels were like, unfortunate occurrences, uh, things got out of control at times, isolated individuals did commit crimes, blah, 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 you know, but they were attempting to do medical research. And that's one of those, like, hypnotic phrases, right? I mean, I could probably put everybody to sleep just by sitting here and saying, medical research, medical research, medical research, medical research, medical research. And, like, people would reach into their pocket and come out with money, man, you know? Well, hey, cancer, infantile paralysis, uh, you know, MS, uh, whatever you want, I'll give you money. Medical research, medical research, right? 
That's like what politicians know. That's a, that's a, a key they turn all the time. When they, can't, when they can't figure out what else to say, they say, we need more money for research, right? And that means, you know, tax money, and it means things that you don't want to be subjected to most of the time. So Valerie Wolf is something else. <laughs> this woman is down in New Orleans. She's seeing patients that other people won't see. Therefore, they tell strange stories. These are patients that have been fired by other therapists, right? They're very unruly, out of control. They do not recover. Nothing works. They cut themselves. They go into hospitals. They try to commit suicide. They are people that therapists generally flee from. And she says, let's go. That's her, that's her scene. So it stands to reason she would hear stories that other therapists tend not to hear. And in her statement to the committee on radiation, March 15th, 95, she says, the research programs, meaning that her patients were submitted to, included radiation, drugs, mind control, and chemicals. My clients and others have reported all of these as being used on them, although technically they were considered to be part of the mind control experiments. Generally, it appears that therapists across the country are finding clients who have been subjected to mind control techniques. The consistency of their stories about the purpose of the mind control and torture techniques, such as electric shock, use of hallucinogens, sensory deprivation, spinning, hypnosis, dislocation of limbs, and sexual abuse is remarkable. There is almost nothing published on this aspect of mind control used with children, and these clients come from all over the country, having had no contact with each other. From the small sample of therapists to whom I talked, it appears that about 25% of the clients report memories of being used in radiation experiments. It is possible that more people were exposed to radiation, but that the memories have not yet emerged because our awareness of this experimentation is so new. Hello, I'm Jason Stone, co-host of the MKZ podcast. Coming up next is a clip about the Indian Lake Project. This controversial story has to do with a cryptic blog detailing the author's ongoing search for information about what he believes was an MKUltra-like government-sponsored mind control program conducted on children in the woods around Indian Lake, New York, in the early 1950s. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Attention all Ground Zero radio fans. GroundZeroMerch.com is your one-stop shop for all things Ground Zero. Oh, wow. Show off your style with our exclusive collection of T-shirts and hoodies. They're not just comfortable, they're conversation starters. Need to keep hydrated during those long listen sessions. Get your hands on our durable water bottles. And now introducing our latest editions, a hand-picked selection of intriguing books that will keep your mind buzzing. GroundZeroMerch.com. Support Ground Zero and everything we do. Today, the idea of other projects linked to MKUltra and human experimentation brings us to Indian Hills. The beginnings of this weird story of the Indian Lake Project 
came from a blog first appearing online in October way back in 2005. The blog outlines the claimed evidence that the author says was passed on to him by his uncle who first uncovered a box along a trail in the late 1990s. It also has details on the people who allegedly contacted the blog author with information on the mysterious project and that he believes he is being targeted by the authorities for having this information. The box's contents are said to paint a chilling picture of human experiments. Experiments that it is said were conducted on children, but are they fact or fiction? Searching online for references to the Indian Lake Project always leads back to the blog page. Links pop up on paranormal, conspiracy, and mystery forums. Many have said that the story is a work of fiction. However, real programs of government experiments have come to light through declassified documents in recent years, but few, if any, have involved children. Is it possible that this mystery box has uncovered real evidence of yet another secret program? From 1952 to 1955, it is believed that the Adirondacks hosted a series of extremely immoral and downright creepy experiments, all part of an experimental program ran by the CIA. Proof of the program actually existing is slim, the majority being from the blog and the mystery box. But with the uncovering of the evidence in 1997, it is definitely a real possibility that such a secret program could or would have existed. What has been learned over the years since the Indian Lake project was brought to the public eye after a hiker tripped over an exposed edge of a box containing photographs and video reels of various people, including three young children. The box that was found was heavily worn from years of battering received from the elements. It was eventually passed down to the hiker's nephew after the man died in 2002. The hiker's nephew, John, began to inspect the many various objects or artifacts that were held within the box. After doing some research, John discovered that there was a program which had been ran by the CIA, it was named Project Artichoke. In a memo found inside of the box was written, Can we get control of an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will and even against fundamental laws of nature, such as self-preservation? This spooky question showing that the manipulation of the mind could possibly be the end goal of this program. It is believed that children's minds were easier to manipulate and that the three children pictured were used in the experiments. The children are believed to be pictured at different ages in the photographs, showing that the personnel responsible for the project could have raised them at the facility in Indian Lake. After carrying out his research and piecing all the pieces of evidence together, John decided he should really take a trip to Indian Lake to see if he could find more proof or information or anything that could further the research himself. After many hours of searching, he came across a large abandoned structure deep in the middle of the woods. The structure was three to four stories high and it had no roads which would allow access to it. John believes that this could well be one of the facilities that was utilized in the project. He also said that he found an abandoned building or underground hideout filled with beds that could have been used for the subjects to sleep on before they were used for experimental purposes. Jumping forward in time to today, and John has taken a more cautious approach in dealing with the case. He says that he began receiving unnerving phone calls and had someone break into his house without taking anything, a clearly veiled threat. 
He believes that it is in the best interest for himself and his family to take a step back from what he has uncovered. He is still researching the case, but is far more careful with what he releases. This could be a wise move. We have learned that when it comes to MKUltra, the secret groups behind the program are happy to kill to hide their secrets. For our final segment, we feature the actual mind control survivor's testimony at the U.S. Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments on March 15, 1995. Are you brave enough to step into the unknown, where shadows whisper and secrets unfold? Welcome to Ground Zero Radio. Your gateway to the other side, now within reach on iOS, Android, and Alexa. Dive deep into the abyss with Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis. Unravel mysteries with the secret teachings and explore the unexplained in Into the Parabnormal. Listen to live radio and podcasts, read our latest articles, and message the station all in our new mobile apps. Download the Ground Zero radio app today, now available in the App Store. With MK Ultra subjects, Krista Nicola and Claudia Mullen, and therapist Valerie Wolf. I'm Christy Nicola, born July of 1962, rendering me 32 years of age. I was a subject in radiation as well as mind control and drug experiments performed by a man I knew as Dr. Green. My parents were divorced around 1966, and Donald Richard Ebner, my natural father, was involved with Dr. Green in the experiments. I was a subject from 1966 to 1976. Dr. Green performed radiation experiments on me in 1970, focusing on my neck, throat, and chest, 1972 focusing on my chest and my uterus in 1975. Each time I became dizzy, nauseous, and threw up. All these experiments were performed on me in conjunction with mind control techniques and drugs in Tucson, Arizona. Dr. Green was using me mostly as a mind control subject from 1966 to 1973. His objective was to gain control of my mind and train me to be a spy assassin. The first significant memory took place at Kansas City University in 1966. Don Ebner took me there by plane when my mom was out of town. I was in what looked like a laboratory and there seemed to be other children. I was strapped down, naked, spread eagle, on a table, on my back. Dr. Green had electrodes on my body, including my head. He used what looked like an overhead projector and repeatedly said he was burning different images into my brain while a red light flashed aimed at my forehead. In between each sequence, he used electric shock on my body and told me to go deeper and deeper, deeper while repeating each image would go deeper into my brain and I would do whatever he told me to do. I felt drugged because he had given me a shot before he started the procedure. When it was over, he gave me another shot. The next thing I remember, I was with my grandparents again in Tucson, Arizona. I was four years old. You can see from this experiment that Dr. Green used trauma, drugs, post-hypnotic suggestion, and more trauma in an effort to gain total control of my mind. He used me in radiation experiments both for the purposes of determining the effects of radiation on various parts of my body and to terrorize me as an additional trauma in the mind control experiments. The rest of the experiments took place in Tucson, Arizona, out in the desert, 
I was taught how to pick locks, be secretive, use my photographic memory, and a technique to withhold information by repeating numbers to myself. Dr. Green moved on to wanting me to kill dolls that look like real children. I stabbed a doll with a spear once after being severely traumatized, but the next time I refused. He used many pain induction techniques, but as I got older, I resisted more and more. He often tied me down in a cage, which was near his office. Between 1972 and 1976, he and his assistants were sometimes careless and left the cage unlocked. Whenever physically possible, I snuck into his office and found files with reports and memos addressed to CIA and military personnel. Included in these files were project, subproject, subject, and experiment names with some code numbers for radiation and mind control experiments, which I have submitted in your written documentation. I was caught twice and Dr. Green ruthlessly used electric shock drugs, spun me on a table, put shots in my stomach, in my back, dislocated my joints, and hypnotic techniques to make me feel crazy and suicidal. Because of my rebellion and growing lack of cooperation, they gave up on me as a spy assassin. Consequently, the last two years, 1974 to 1976, Dr. Green used various mind control techniques to reverse the spy assassin messages to self-destruct and death messages. His purpose, he wanted me dead and I struggled to stay alive all of my adult life. All of my adult life. I believe it is by the grace of God that I am still alive. These horrible experiments have profoundly affected my life. I developed multiple personality disorder because Dr. Green's goal was to split my mind into as many parts as possible so he could control me totally. He failed, but I've had to endure years of constant physical, mental, and emotional pain even to this day. I've been in therapy consistently for 12 years and it wasn't until I found my current therapist two and a half years ago who had knowledge of the mind control experiments that I've finally been able to make real progress and begin to heal. In closing, I ask that you keep in mind that the memories I've described are but a glimpse of the countless others that took place over the 10 years between 1966 and 1976. That they weren't just radiation, but mind control and drug experiments as well. I have included more detailed information of what I remember in your written documentation. Please help us by recommending an investigation and making the information available so that therapists and other mental health professionals can help more people like myself. I know I can get better. I am getting better. And I know others can too, with the proper help. Please help us in an effort to prevent these heinous acts from continuing in the future. Thank you very much. In 1957 and 1984, I became a pawn in a government scheme whose ultimate goal was mind control and to create the perfect spy, all for the use of chemicals, radiation, drugs, hypnosis, electric shock, isolation in tubs of water, 
sleep deprivation, brainwashing, verbal, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. I was exploited unwittingly for nearly three decades of my life, and the only explanations given to me were that, quote, the end justifies the means, and, quote, I was serving my country in their bold effort to fight communism. I can only summarize my circumstances by saying they took an already abused seven-year-old child and compounded my suffering beyond belief. The saddest part is I know for a fact that I was not alone. There were countless other children in my same situation, and there was no one to help us until now. I've already submitted as much information as possible, including conversations uh, overheard of the people, agencies responsible, I'm able to report all this to you in such detail because of my photographic memory and the arrogance of the doctors, the arrogance of the people involved. They were certain they would always control my mind. Although the process of recalling these atrocities is not an easy one, nor is it without some danger to myself and my family, I feel the risk is worth taking. Dr. L. Wilson Green, who claimed to have received $50 million from the Edgewood Chemical and Radiology Laboratory, as part of the T TSD, or Technical Science Division of the CIA, once described to Dr. Charles Brown that, quote, children were used as subjects because they were more fun to work with and cheaper, too. They needed lower-profile subjects than soldiers or government people, so only young, willing females would do. Besides, he said, I like scaring them. They in the agency think I'm a god, creating subjects experiments for whatever deviant purposes Sid and James can think up. Sid being Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, James, Dr. James Hamilton. In 1958, I was to be tested, they told me, by some important doctors but from the society, or the Human Ecology Society, and I was instructed to cooperate. I was told not to look at anyone's faces and not try hard not to ignore, to try hard not to ignore any names, as this was a very secret project. But I was told to be brave and all these things would help me forget. Naturally, as most children do, I did the opposite and remembered as much as I could. Dr. John Gittinger tested me, Dr. Cameron gave me the shocks, and Dr. Green the x-rays. Then I was told by Sid Gottlieb that, quote, I was ripe for the big A, or meaning artichoke. By the time I left to go home, just like every time from then on, I would remember only whatever explanations Dr. Robert G. Heath at Tulane Medical University gave me for the odd bruises, needle marks, burns on my head, fingers, and even the genital soreness. I had no reason to believe otherwise. They had already begun to control my mind. The next year, I was sent to a lodge in Maryland called Deep Creek Cabins to learn how to sexually please men. I was taught how to coerce them into talking about themselves, and it was, doc it was uh, Richard Helms, who was deputy director of the CIA, Dr. Gottlieb, uh, Captain George White, Morris Allen, who all planned on filming as many high government agency officials and heads of academic institutions and foundations as possible, so that later when the fun funding for mind control and radiation started to dwindle, projects would continue. I was used to entrap many unwitting men, including themselves, all with the use of a hidden camera. I was only nine years old when this sexual humiliation began. I overheard conversations about a part of the agency called ORD, which I found out was Office of Research and Development. 
It was run by Dr. Green, Dr. Stephen Aldrich, Martin Orne, and Morse Allen. Once a crude remark was made by Dr. Gottlieb about a certain possible leak over New Orleans East involving a large group of retarded children who are being given massive doses of radiation. He asked, why was Wilson so worried about a few retarded kids? After all, they would be the least likely to spill the beans. Another time, I heard Dr. Martin Orne, who was the director then of the scientific office and later the head of the Institute for Experimental Research, state that, quote, in order to keep more funding coming from different sources for radiation and mind control projects, he suggested stepping up the amounts of stressors used and also the blackmail portion of the experiments. He said it needed to be done faster than to get rid of the subjects or they were asking for us to come back later and haunt them with our rem remembrances. There's much more I could tell you about government-sponsored research, including project names, sub-project numbers, people involved, facilities used, tests, and other forms of pain induction. But I think I've given more than enough information to recommend further investigation of all the mind control projects, especially as they involve so much use of the radiation. I would love nothing more than to say that I dreamed all this up and need just to forget it. But that would be a tragic mistake. It would also be a lie. All these atrocities did occur to me and to countless other children, and all under the guise of defending our country. It is because of the cumulative effects of exposure to radiation, chemicals, drugs, pain, and subsequent mental and physical distress that I've been robbed of the ability to work and even to bear any children of my own. It is blatantly obvious that none of this was needed, nor should it ever have been allowed to take place at all. And the only means we have to seek out the awful truth and bring it to light is by opening whatever files remain on all the projects and through another presidential commission on mind control. I believe that every citizen of this nation has the right to know just what is fact and what is fiction. It is our greatest protection against the possibility of this ever happening again. In conclusion, I can offer you no more than what I've given you today, the truth. And I thank you for your time. Thank you for your presentations. We appreciate that this is not an easy thing to do. Are there comments or questions from the committee? Duncan? Could, could I ask either of you, where were your parents through all this? Uh, how, do you have any idea how you were recruited in the first place? Uh, did they, did, do you have parents, and did your parents know anything about what was going on? Um, I can uh, make a brief statement on that. Um, it was my father who was involved uh, with Dr. Green. Um, my mother was not aware because they were divorced when I was four years old. Um, well, maybe before that, separated. And uh, what would happen, how he gained access to me is these experiments took place actually in the middle of the night. And uh, he would uh, sneak in while my mom was asleep, take me out, and uh, she had absolutely no knowledge of what happened. However, when these memories did surface and I began to tell her about them, uh, she, there, she, there was no question in her mind that he was uh, capable. Uh, he had been in the military, in the Air Force. He had access to, have, to meet Dr. Green. So, um, in answer to your question, um, it was my father. 
he groomed me from the very beginning, started sexually abusing me from the very beginning, and uh, it was just something that he wanted to do, and uh, he was closely involved with Dr. Green, but my mom had no knowledge. The only thing she knew was that she wanted to get away from him. She didn't know why. She just knew she had to get away from him because of my reaction to him. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go on. Thank you. Thank you. You want an answer from me also? That's up to you. If you want. Um, the way I got involved was I was adopted when I was two and a half by a woman who sexually abused me. And then uh, she was a friend of the chairman of the board of Tulane University at the time. And uh, as a favor to him, she, I began to show symptoms of uh, you know, typical of childhood abuse when I was very, very young. Uh, and she asked him to recommend a psychiatrist, and he recommended Dr. Heath, who was involved with the project already. And so when he discovered that I had already been abused from the time I was practically born, and that I was had the ability to dissociate, and that I had almost perfect recall, and I passed all the personality tests that they gave me, he suggested me for the project, and so that's how I got into it. My father had no idea, and he died when I was very young. But I, I don't know if my mother knew or not. I don't think she really cared, to tell you the truth. And then she died when I was a teenager. So after that, they had access to me. And then on. Lois? Um, you mentioned that there are others across the country who are coming, who are recalling similar things. Yes. Um, do they all cover the same time span, generally, or yes. do you have a feel for that? Yeah, generally they're covering the same time span from about the late 1940s um, until, see, the, one of the things that we're hearing about is people that were assigned to monitor them in case they should start to remember because it's so horrible what was done. So we're not exactly sure when the actual experimentation took place and when it got into just the monitoring to make sure that they were still under control and not everybody is being monitored. So, but yeah, pretty much I think it's from the late 40s through the 1970s and maybe even, even into 1984. Later than that, I found out. Because after my parents died, and uh, there was no one to protect me, the monitor that she yeah. spoke of, that my, my particular monitor was a, was a physician at Tulane University, and so he had, he was a family friend also of my mother's, and he just kept on making sure that I kept going back and forgetting. So it's kind of unclear as to when, whether it stopped or whether it, it you know, where the where the they still monitor you. That's why it's, I am taking some danger in coming here today, because I'm still being locked. I know this sounds unbelievable, but I mean, there's actual, um, she gets stuff in the mail, she gets phone calls, um, people have been writing things on her house, using the pseudonym that they used when she was at Tulane, and only they would know that name. My real name was never used, ever, in anything. So. Were, were they all children at the time? Yes. When they, when they yes. Were? All children. And the thing is, is, as therapists, we are trying really hard to figure this out and to get as much information as we can. 
Claudia's memories have been verified, a lot of them, because the way I've approached this is, is I don't read in the field. I don't, and so as people give me information, I send them to experts like Alan Shefflin, who has a lot of information, and then he'll get back to me to confirm or deny. He has never denied any information that I've sent him. Some of it can't be because we don't have all the information, but a lot of Claudia's memories have been validated and they're not in any published source. The only way she would know the things she knows is if she filed Freedom of Information Act information. And this is what Alan Shefflin is telling me. So I have, and then I've been very careful not to know a whole lot. So if someone tells me something, I don't even cue them that because I don't know either. Okay. It seems to me that documentary, documentary evidence is going to be key to establishing the truth of these claims. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine that a program as, as, as large and as complex as, as you people have described could have gone on for so long without a great deal of documentation. The question is, where is this documentation now? Uh, it becomes a catch-22 if it is said that all of the documentation resides within the CIA files and all of it's secret and they won't give it to us. But uh, what you've described is a pattern of a very complex organization with doc which involves plenty of people outside of the CIA as well. Uh, therefore, there must be a substantial amount of documentation which could be discovered. Uh, you just mentioned uh, the, the letters that some of you are still receiving. There is a lead to documentation. Uh, can you describe for me what efforts have been made either by yourselves or by other people who are working on the story to try to track down some of this documentation? And, and what you meant a moment ago when you said that some of these memories have been uh, verified or, or validated. Okay. Um, Dr. Alan Shefflin, and you have uh, his uh, resume in the documentation and a statement from him about Claudia um, in, your, in your documentation. He has been, for the past 20 years, filing Freedom of Information Act uh, filings to get this information, has pieces, been piecing it together. Other people across the country have been doing the same, going back to the government files, getting what they can. Um, and what they've also been doing is writing books, sharing information. So he has actual Freedom of Information Act information. The problem is that it's when the requests are going in now, they're being slowed down or denied or just kind of lost in the shuffle, and the information is very difficult to get. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't see the documentation in the package that, it, that was provided to me. Is, is there something uh, missing? I have, I supplied uh, project I numbers. I sent a, a, a packet of documentation, um, overnight mail. It should have been here Monday and some more yesterday. So it maybe isn't. Well, it's, it, we haven't received it, we'll let you know. Okay, if I sent the it. first one to Steve Clayman and the second one to we Kristen Crotty. Yeah. Okay. You have some, it? Yeah, we have some of these. Okay, and, and again, it was, you know, what I could pull together in about a week and a half from across the country, but the, the consistency of the stories. And the thing is, we want to verify. So Alan has amassed over 20 years from Freedom of Information Act, from memos other people give him, or sharing information, uh, a lot of information. But we don't have the complete story. There's still a lot of stuff that we don't know. And that's what we're trying to find out, because... Um, does any of this documentation specifically refer to radiation experiments? 
because we are told by CIA that they never did any radiation experiments. The ORD so uh, what we need is documentation in order to well, pursue that. All you have to do is look up anything on ORD, the, uh, the one that I mentioned that I overheard them speaking about. That was almost strictly radiation. And, and that was run by Dr. Stephen Aldridge, Martin Orne. And, th and that's included in the package which you sent Steve Kleidman? Yes. I gave, and I gave you project numbers, project names, sub-project numbers, even the subjects. We were given numbers ourselves for each specific experiment. And I overheard my number because they would, they would assume that uh, they would use techniques so that you would forget. Assume, you know, when you go home, you wouldn't remember what happened. So they just talked freely in front of me. That's why no one ever hid their face, wore a mask or anything because they knew that I would not remember, and I didn't. I didn't remember until two years ago. I did. And also, to come with, I think you could follow up on Dr. L. Wilson Green. I don't know if you've come across him, but he seems to have been involved in both. And I think, realistically, in terms of the mind control, some of the subjects were used in mind control and radiation. Some, as you've been hearing, have been strictly radiation, and some were strictly mind control. Um, I think the reason it's coming up now is because in some of the stuff people are remembering, they knew that it would break down. Um, they really worked hard to induce amnesia, and they knew it would break down. And I think in the last couple of years that that's what's been happening, because we're hearing more and more, and, um, you know, um, so we're just trying to find out what's happening here. That's so we'd appreciate any help you could give us on that. Did you want to make Yes, I did. Um, I just wanted to address you for a moment. Uh, the question you asked about the uh, uh, documentation on radiation specifically right. included right. in my packet, um, and I don't know if you have that or not. Um, well, we've come to the end of Episode 3 on the MKZine podcast. We hope you found this program to be informative and educational. Our website is mkzine.blogspot.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook page. For correspondence, the email is mkzine at gmail.com. Once again, I'm Ron Patton along with Jason Stone. Take good care and keep the faith. So I'm paying for protection, smoking out the truth, chasing recollections, nailing down the proof. Attention all Ground Zero radio fans. GroundZeroMerch.com is your one-stop shop for all things Ground Zero. Oh, wow. Show off your style with our exclusive collection of T-shirts and hoodies. They're not just comfortable, they're conversation starters. Ooh. Need to keep hydrated during those long listen sessions. Get your hands on our durable water bottles. And now introducing our latest additions, a hand-picked selection of intriguing books that will keep your mind buzzing. GroundZeroMerch.com. Support Ground Zero and everything we do.